introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, Jen Barnett is a dear friend of ours. She is uh, obviously the author of the book that we're using uh, this quarter, First Freedoms. Um, and she's just been gracious this morning to give up her time away from her family. Her and her husband are uh, elder couples along with other, other elders at Ethos Church here in Nashville. Uh, they have four kids. Um, oldest is in college, youngest is in fifth grade. Uh, Carter, Claire, uh, Will, who I teach in eighth grade, and Grace. And so she's got some life experience, uh, you know, with kids. Um, she's the executive director of Freedom Prayer, the nonprofit organization. And um, she is just passionate about bringing these tools to churches, uh, about equipping church teams to help people go after the Lord. She has spent thousands of hours in prayer time with people, helping people through some of the worst stuff you can imagine, but leading them gently up to the Lord and helping them encounter Him. And um, she has stories for years she could tell you about witnessing the Lord encounter people in prayer times. Uh, I respect her tremendously. She'll tell you that her family is a family of runners. Her husband ran in college. Uh, her two oldest ran cross country. And she'll say, I'm not a runner. Um, but Jen runs this race of life better than anybody I know. Um, she runs hard after the Lord. And she runs until she's worn out. I like to think about heaven and how uh, kind of our true selves will be revealed in heaven. Jen may be like Derrick Henry in heaven or something like that. <laughs> Usain Bolt. I don't know what she's going to look like in heaven, but uh, she runs hard after the Lord. Um, so will you please uh, welcome Jim Barnett, our teacher this morning. That was a really gracious introduction, and I was just secretly happy that I actually know who Derrick Henry is, and I wouldn't have to go home and be like, who's Derrick Henry? I think it was a compliment, but I don't know, so I won. I won on that one. Um, thank you. I'm really, really just honored to be in a room with um, some people that I don't know and hope to know, and actually some faces I, I do know, and some that I know really well, and I was telling Reed, I woke up this morning, and I was nervous, even though I, I do this kind of thing a lot. Um, because I, as I was figuring out, why am I nervous? I mean, I think it's always good to be nervous when you're handing some truths. And it dawned on me, I'm going to know some people in here. And it's very, um, it's a vulnerable place to, to do this and like kind of launch it into the world. But even more vulnerable when like you go to school with these people and you have children in the same classes. And so um, I hope my prayer is just in the, the vulnerability of, of what, this is and what you guys are walking, that it really just hopefully spurs you on to be vulnerable with the Lord, first and foremost. Um, we were made for that. But to also be vulnerable with each other. Um, I think the, the world, especially post-pandemic, if that's where we're at, I don't know where we're at with the pandemic, but let's, let's go for post on the optimistic side. We're longing for community and real communion, and I have been around enough church cultures of all sorts of different denominations that do all the things together, and they still go, but I can't find community, I can't find my people, I can't find the thing, and it really does come back to connection. And so um, we're going to talk this morning just about that chapter in the book about communion with God, but I'm hopefully setting up just some, some footing to move on in, in future weeks about what this aspect of connection and communion with God looks like. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about like the, the sacrament of communion, although that's really important. 
when I talk about communion with God, I'm really talking about that really intimate place where you share details on a really deep emotional level, on a spiritual level, that kind of communion. And it's important. And I could tell you all day that it's really important to have that communion with God, but I think it's important we know why. Why is this necessary? I would say, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it's probably the most important aspect of your Christian journey and your Christian walk. And so we have to examine, okay, well, why? I'm kind of a facts and practical kind of girl, so why do we need this? Why is it so necessary? And I could start pointing to verses that really are a litmus test for my own personal life. Verses like Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness increases, because wickedness increases, the love of many will grow cold. Could go back and point to Matthew 7, 23, where Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me. And we tend to kind of skim over those verses and go, yeah, that's scary, but I go to church and I'm saved. And I would say yes, but he was talking to the church in those passages. And that should kind of make us sit up and, and take a really hard, sober look at our own hearts and go, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. He said, because wickedness increases, the love of many will grow cold. And if we kind of branch the narrative of scripture, those kinds of warnings are all throughout, and he's talking to us. He's actually not talking to the outside world in that. He's talking to the people of God. And so I would, I would offer that sobering, and it should be a litmus test really every morning, really multiple times a day. Do I know him on that level? Not just am I doing the things, am I checking my list, but do I know him on that intimate communion kind of level. I could point to, and I've been sitting with this parable for many years, but recently in the last several months, the parable of the oil and the lamps, or some of your Bible translations will title it the ten virgins or the ten maidens. And here's what's so sobering about that passage. Those bridesmaids, which newsflash, that's us. So if you're wondering, who are we in that parable? That's us. Sorry, guys, you've got to be the bride, the bridesmaids, all these, all these pictures that Scripture gives. We're the bridesmaids, the bridesmaids waiting on the bridegroom king to return. And the interesting thing about those maids, there were ten, five are called wise, five are called foolish, and the only difference between the two groups is that one had oil and one did not. And so we have to look at that parable because in that parable you see the same thing. The bridegroom king is coming. The bridesmaids, all ten, were asleep. All ten had lamps. So check, check. They knew something was going to happen. They got a little sleepy. That's okay. But the ones who got in the door for the wedding feast were the ones who had oil. And those five foolish actually knew in the moment, I have got to get some oil. And they could not borrow it from the ones who were wise. They had to go find the seller of oil, and by then it was too late. And they're banging on the door to get into the feast. And the king says, I don't know you. Again, sobering passage of scripture. So what's, 
What's the oil? I would like to just put on the table, I think the oil is this abiding communion with God that's fueled by the Holy Spirit. You could get your lamp. You could know the theology. You could know the day is coming that the bridegroom (laughs) king returns. But if we don't have the oil, we're actually not allowed access in. Again, that's not so much to me a sobering invitation as it is a really grace-filled invitation. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be at the wedding feast. I mean, that's my heart's cry. And I think we have time right now to get oil. The people of God have got to get oil. And that's that connected communion with God. So we could point to those verses that should make us go every morning. Do I know him? Do I have oil? Would I get in the door on the other side? I could just point to the truth that we all know in here that we're made by God. It's a God design to be in relationship. We were made for relationship. If you're a single person, you are looking for your family in your single life. Not just, will I get married or not, but who are my people? We're not made for isolation. Um, I'm at a church that is like abundant with singles, and I watch how families come together, this mismatched kind of connection and communion where they're doing real life together with other singles, with families like mine. And so it's this, you can make your family in the kingdom of God. Some of you in this room are married. What would it look like in your own marriage if you lived in the same house but just sort of navigated around each other? Or what would it look like, and I'm sorry I'm going to push buttons here, and there's a ministry here called Freedom Prayer that you could go to if it pushes your buttons, but what would it look like in your marriage if one spouse was just talking at the other one all day and was not talking with? We could all logically go, that's probably not the healthiest way to do the covenant of marriage that we've been created for. What if you were in the same space and you just talked really quickly, but you never sat down together in the same room? You were never close to one another. You were never intimate. We all logically could go, that marriage probably needs some recalibration back to something healthy. There are a lot of marriages that navigate like that, and I would just say, if that's yours, you don't have to keep it like that. But we all logically go, that's not going to work for the long haul. We were made for this covenant communion, and we're actually supposed to start with our heart with the Lord, and everything else is supposed to flow out from that. I would say, so my husband and I, and I don't really know how we got this, this side gig, but we do currently have it where we do a lot of counseling with engaged couples. Again, our church is like overflowing with them. So it's, I think if you're above 35, it's just kind of that's what you're supposed to be doing. And so when I sit with couples that are in that really fun engagement stage, what we often end up saying is, hey, we want to raise the bar on what you think marriage is going to be. We're going to raise the bar on what you think the culture says marriage is going to be. We actually think your bar is too low, even if it sounds good and looks good on paper. And this morning, what I would like to offer is, I just want to raise the bar on what you think communion with God is supposed to look like. I've been around um, many different denominations of churches. I've sat with people just in close proximity and prayer for a number of years. And most people, if they're honest, are really disappointed 
in their level of communion with God. If you get them where they can be honest and feel the safety to say that, they've been in church forever, they've served God diligently, but when it comes to knowing Him, there's a great level of disappointment. And it's like, how do we get there? How do we step over so that we can do this? And am I even worthy enough to get there? Am I important enough to God? Maybe that's for the special people. I think that is the majority of the Christian experience. And so today I just want to begin to try to raise the bar there, that we can raise our expectation of what we're doing when we're in communion with God. Um, I could point to those verses. I could point to the fact that God created us for connection and intimate communion with him. Um, I could just also point to the belief that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm going to say that again because it's true. Your chief goal, your chief design as a son or daughter of God is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And my question this morning is, when was the last time you legitimately just enjoyed God? Like if I'm telling you, and you don't have to believe it, but it's true, that your chief goal on this side of eternity is to enjoy God. And if you do that in close connection and close proximity, everything else that flows out is actually going to glorify Him. Like we have our checklists, we have our guilt-driven things that we feel like we have to do to be a good believer and a good churchgoer, but what if it was really about enjoying God, loving Him, and from that place comes the, the spot that we're all longing for to be kind of keepers and presenters of His glory. You can't do it just doing the stuff, and you certainly can't do it doing the stuff at a distance. It's going to come up kind of half-baked. I think this declaration of the chief end of man, you can also um, think it like we glorify God the most when we are fully satisfied in him. And I'm just telling you, I've done this long enough to know that most people are not satisfied in him. There's, there's a distance. There's some sort of breakdown somewhere and they're going to keep doing the things because we do not want to go to hell, right? Like, that's the motivator. for I don't care what denomination it is. That's the motivator. I cannot go to hell. i got to check that box. It's a good goal. So, but, we still do, but we still do life like this. We're still doing life at a distance. Again, take it back to the idea of true family. If you're just passing each other and there's not a whole lot of conversation, if it's just like, okay, I'll see you at dinner, and dinner's kind of dull and quick or whatever happens, you're not cultivating connection there. I think a lot of Christians do this communion idea with God, like you see at basketball games where the cheerleaders launch the t-shirt launcher, and they're like, they're aiming for a specific section, I think, and they launch it, but they don't really know what it's going to go. That's like most believers' prayer lives. I'm going to launch this request. I think it's going over here. I don't know if God's going to catch it or not. It may end up there. It may end up in some hands that I don't want to have it. And that's it. And I'm saying we have got to raise the bar on what communion and connection look like. So practically, what would it look like to do this? Because I'm all about the practicals, and I want us to step in. So we have to start with Scripture. We don't want to do anything that Scripture says 
not to do. And scripture is pretty clear about this idea of connection. So all throughout scripture, definitely in Deuteronomy, you see it in the Shema prayers, those morning and evening prayers that really good Hebrew people did. You see it in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Old Testament, repeated in the New Testament, there was a time where that prayer would be declared morning and night, if not more in between. There's something really important about that. And if you've been in church for a long time, you go, well, yeah, of course. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I've just found, I don't think it's that easy. I actually think that's why he keeps repeating it, because he knows that we're going to struggle with it. That's a struggle. I think most of us love the Lord our God with maybe one half of our mind, some of our heart, because we've got some pieces of our heart on lockdown, like God doesn't know that we've done that and like he can't see him. It's like, God, I'm going to love you here, but this is off limits. And we pretend like he's not omnipotent and isn't aware. I'm going to love you here, but I don't really think you can touch this piece. And I'm worried if I actually asked you to do it, you might not come through for me. So this is going to be off limits. I can't trust you with this. All of our soul, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Our soul is just chaos most of the time. And it kind of follows our own will and our own sinful nature. So our soul can't really be trusted all the time. And so it's difficult to do this. And I think God knew that. I think that's why he repeats it in scripture. So we have to figure out how do we do that? So let's, let's get some footing, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize for my artwork that Jeannie Cagle already made fun of. <laughs> so I will explain it a little bit. So we, as human beings, we are three parts, which I think is really cool because the Trinity is in three parts. There's a really holy design in how we've been made. We're body, or in scripture you'll see it described as flesh. We're soul. And I would offer that our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And you can already know how quickly those can get all messed up and all jumbled up. And at our core is our spirit. Scripture speaks to that sometimes as the heart, not your, the organ of the heart, but the heart. Paul talks about it as your inner man, the place in you that's eternal, that Jesus knew before you were born, the core of who you are, the part that's going to go to the other side and eventually get a glorified body, but this is how we identify each other on a spiritual plane. We know what we look like, and we do a lot to make sure that outside appearance is taken care of, but we're actually identified by that unseen place, your inner man or your spirit. So we're in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And for most of us, if we're honest, this gets a lot of attention, this gets a lot of traction, and this does a lot of controlling what we do, and this doesn't get a lot of churning up or a lot of fanning the flame. If anything, these things can sometimes diminish this, if not most of the time. We are moved and dictated often by these. We were made to be led and to be walking by the Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we start to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul? Well, it's got to be from the inside out. We can't start messing with this hoping it fixes this. We have to connect with God on a spirit level. 
that spirit level is actually going to intersect these faculties that we're really aware of, your mind and your will and emotions. So let's just go ahead and say, I won't make you say it, but you know it's true, that your will can be really stubborn. Your will can do a lot of demanding, and it doesn't usually line up with what the Lord wants. Your will can just drive the train in a direction that it doesn't need to go. Your emotions are really powerful. Scripture's pretty clear that they will mess you up. That's my paraphrase. They will <laughs> deceive you. Your emotions can't always be trusted. Sometimes, but not always. If your emotions are not driven by this, they're going to be chaos and a mess in your life. If your emotions are actually in submission to this, it can actually work well with you, for you, and it can actually help you cultivate gifts of the Spirit, too. So these have to come into alignment with what this is. Let's talk about your mind. Just so you know, this is a picture of your brain, not your lungs. <laughs> these are the sides of your brain. There's a left side of your brain, and there's a right side of your brain. So I am left-handed. Since I was little, my kindergarten teacher tried to change it. It was not happening. I am completely left-dominant. So that'll give you insight, especially into how I write and how I think. But I was told my whole life, you're a left-hander, you're in your right mind. I, I think that's kind of true. I mean, I have a lot of this, but I've got some of this too. So I think that's an unfair assessment. Like I just think in general, God wants all of our faculties lined up with him. But this left side of your brain, it does all the things like this. And I apologize for my left-handed writing. That's not very pretty. This left side of your brain does logic, facts, math, analysis, and training. It's the factual side of your brain. The right side of your brain has all the creativity and the intuition and the emotion and the feeling. If you're an artistic person, it's all coming over from that side of the brain. And your imagination is on the side of the brain. There was a time in your Christian heritage where this was all working together. And I would say in the last 50 years, especially in the Protestant church, this often gets completely dismissed or shut down, and we are taught and trained to do all of our interaction with God from this side of the brain. And I go back to the scripture that says, love him with all your mind. We do a lot of encountering God over here because that's what we've been taught. We're taught Bible stories. We're taught theology. And hear me, I love those. I love theology. But I will not and cannot tackle theology just from this side of my brain. I'm going to tackle it over here, too. All of this got shut down, and the enemy's really cunning, because if you've studied any other religions, false religions, idolatrous religions, they had a field day with this. I mean, you cannot minister to people in a Hindu culture without tackling this hurdle, because the those Hindu gods and all the things that come with it have so distorted this. There's millions of them and all of this imagination and emotion. So the Christian church goes, let's just put this on a timeout and let's just tackle God from this way. And I would say, we can't do that. We're missing something there. What we know about our mind, if it's fully engaged, your spirit could control your mind. That's actually what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. You can't just decide to have that. It's a spirit interaction. 
And it's got to be both sides of your mind. Both sides of your mind engaged. That's also going to engage your heart. You think about your spiritual senses. You've got five senses. You can see things. You can hear things. You can touch things. You can smell things. Think about those senses with a mind that's fully given over to God, that is driven by the Spirit. And now you've got everything working together. Your spiritual senses, things in Scripture like, let the eyes of your heart be enlightened. What's that? Well, it's probably some combination that is fueled from here, that is utilizing this, and it's a spiritual transaction where everything is now working together. It's not these eyes. It's an internal system of seeing that's spiritual, and you can't get it just up here with this shut down and this side of your brain closed off. It's got to be a full, wholehearted, whole-minded, whole-soul submission to God, which is why he repeats it. We know that we're supposed to have that. If you were back in biblical times and you grew up like a good Jewish student going to Hebrew school, on one of the first days you would sit in the class and the rabbi would say, I want you to tear off a piece of the Torah and I'm going to have you dip it in honey and I just want you to chew it and eat it and swallow it. So there comes all those senses. They can feel it. They can smell the honey. They can certainly taste it, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's pulling on senses. We don't do that so much in our current climate in Christianity. Taste and see. And they're chewing on that really tough parchment that tastes a little sweet, but it's a little bitter going down. And the rabbi would say, we are supposed to chew on the word of God. You chew on it like good steak. You let it marinate in your mouth and you swallow it and it will be sweet like honey, but it will be bitter to the things that the Lord is going to pull out with it. Like it's going to convict. It's going to make you stop in your tracks and go, this is not God's best. Why am I doing this? So it was a full sensory experience of God. In our current modern culture, we've sort of dismissed all that and we come with our notebooks and we listen and we take notes and we go home and we t-shirt launch prayers to God and hope they land somewhere and we go, why are we so disappointed and distanced? And we have to raise the bar on what connection looks like. So I know I just gave you a lot there. I hope it excites you. I hope it raises expectation. We're actually going to practice it just a little bit because we want full brains, full minds, totally submissive to the Lord. We want to be driven here so that everything else lines up. And we want to be sensory. We're supposed to be sensory people. Who made your five senses? It's the Sunday school answer. God, yeah. God made them. Just think about all the crazy things we do with them that aren't in alignment with what God designed. We kind of know that we're supposed to use those, so we find other ways to utilize them. But what if they're supposed to be driven by the Spirit so that we could interact with Him on a wholehearted level? You're going to hear that, that phrase a lot in what I wrote down because we are half-hearted people, and we wonder why we trail off into sin and disappointment. Wholeheartedness is what He's after. So we're going to play a game to kind of get some of these things tracking a little bit and activate these places that we sort of put on shutdown on Sunday mornings, which I think the Lord, I know the Lord is like, why? These belong to me. 
You're supposed to engage these from a biblical foundation led by the Spirit. So close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to come stand in front of you. I'm going to stay right here. Just close your eyes. And I would like for you to picture quickly something to drink. Just picture it. Really take a look at it as if you were going to draw it for me or describe it so I could draw it for you. Really look at it, this thing that you're going to drink. Okay, open your eyes. Somebody raise your hand and just tell me what you saw. Black coffee. Black coffee. Tell me about what it was in. A mug. A mug. Is it a mug that you own or did you just create it? Um, one that I own. Okay. Usually use on a daily basis. It's like your favorite mug. Yeah. Yeah. Can you describe the color or what it looks like? It's black. Black coffee and yes. a black mug. Black coffee and a black mug. Yes, you got it. When you saw it, because I imagine that you were kind of looking at it in your mind's eye, was it free-floating or was it sitting on something? Free-floating. Okay, so just kind of there. Could you sense the backdrop of it? Is it just white or no, black? No, I was really focused on the liquid. Itself. Like right there. <laughs> was, it, was it hot coffee? Hot could you coffee tell? with steam. Yes. Steam, there you go. So I was going to ask, how did you know that it was hot so you yep. could kind of sense yep. the steam? Good job. Somebody tell me a different one. Let's get a female. Sorry. You were great. Normally it's the females that are doing all the talking. I may come back, but I, I want to hear just a female's perspective. What would you see? A glass of ice water. Ice water. Okay. Uh, ice cubes in it. Mm -hmm. Crushed or the solid pieces? Uh, and, a, and a cubes. Cubes. Actual cubes. Actual cubes. Um, how, show me how big the glass was. Um, you know, like a nice yeah. glass. Is it a glass in your house? No. It just kind of came. Some glass. Maybe a glass you want for Christmas from, like, Crate and Barrel, like a good glass. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Is your glass of ice water, is it free-floating or was it sitting on something? It was on a surface. Okay. Could you tell the surface? No. No. It's not a surface you know in your no. house. It was, it was sitting on a surface, but no distinction. Okay. But you know it was sitting where his is like black coffee, black mug. That's all I see right now. So there's a little difference. Okay. That place in your mind where you can do that so fast. And I could have done a million different things. I picture your house growing up. You know, picture a bicycle. You would all see different bicycles that maybe you own or have owned. Maybe they're new. You know, something that created that place in your mind is part of this over here. And it's your imagination and impression. It's a very powerful place in your mind. Think about all the crazy stuff that you put in there on a weekly basis. Think about all your delusions of grandeur that pop up in there where you're going to, like, take over. Think about the fake arguments that you have in there where you will never actually have them, but you win them in that place. <laughs> right? I know one of the best ways to know how powerful this is, it's during Olympics, and you're watching the Olympics, and in that screen of imagination and impression, you see yourself like winning the gold, and it's not going to happen, but it happens in there, and you're like, I could have been a rhythmic gymnast, I could have totally done that, I would have been really good at it. That screen in your mind is so active. Think about how active it is with entertainment, with Netflix with social media. Think about how you can close your eyes 
and imagine what you're going to do this afternoon, what you're going to do this week, and some of it is right on, some of it is not going to happen. This screen is on overdrive all the time, and who made that screen? God. Who wants to own that screen? God. God. Yeah. That part of your mind is supposed to be submitted so that you can have the mind of Christ. And God is vastly creative. He's vastly this. He's a God of order like no one else can order. But he's so creative and he understands that we are frail people. And sometimes a picture actually can say the thousands of words that we can't quite hear yet. So what if that screen was totally submitted to him and he could pop something there to tell you something that your heart desperately needs to hear because it's been submitted to his spirit and you understand that it's his anyway. I think that's why scripture is so full of parables and pictures, but we have to have that screen activated and submitted to his spirit so he can use it. We often come to church and that part of our brain is just shut down. We may dabble in it a little bit with worship and music. That starts to come over to that side of the brain. But when it comes to prayer, most of us are like, he's not going to do that. I've got to be really holy and theologically ready. And that's true because you need truth and there's a balance there. But truth without this is going to come up half Okay, close your eyes again. I want you to think about the best birthday party you ever had. Favorite birthday. Really remember it. Think about it. Okay, open your eyes. Someone tell me just a couple sentences, your best birthday ever. You're not bragging. I love to hear good birthday stories. That's the best. Who has a good birthday you want to tell me about? Oh, come on. Thank you. My 50th, which I just had, it was really fun. I know. I was like, how long ago was this? I didn't know that you were 50. Tell me about your 50th. Um, we had some friends over at Carrie's party and it was just kind of hanging out in the backyard around the pool. And, um, and she asked people to bring me really strange gifts, too. Like, <laughs> I like wearing white T-shirts, so you can bring me a white T-shirt or a Sharpie. Oh, that's awesome. I like Sharpies. <laughs> Yeah, your favorites. So when you think about your birthday, that one in particular, what's your overriding emotion that comes to the top? Like, I felt loved. loved. It's like really close friends. And one yeah. flew in and surprised me from Colorado. Yeah, it's like an intimate love. Because most people, if you gave me white t-shirts and Sharpies for my birthday, I'd be like, thanks. But like, there's, there's a knowing, an intimate love in that. Because... She obviously knows in your friends that made the trip and flew in, there's effort there. So, great birthday. And it's a specific emotion tied to it. Someone else give me a birthday. Female. Birthday. Oh, come on. Yes. Uh, 13th birthday. Yeah. It was panda themed. Ooh, <laughs> nice. My sister and I made a pinata. Fun. Like mm-hmm. And, yeah, just had a lot of my little girlfriends over and it was so fun. Yeah. So why do you think that one came up? That's a fun birthday. What's special know. about that one when you think about it? I, I don't know. It just really stands out in my mind. It's like, it was very themed. It was yeah. like, it, like we had stuffed pandas everywhere. Like, so it was full of pandas. Yeah, it was I'm assuming you liked pandas. 
I guess I, yeah, I do like tangents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, yeah, this, this is really fun birthday. When you sit and think about it, what's your overriding emotion when you recall it? I think just joy. Yeah. Yeah. Like some childhood nostalgic kind of yeah. joy. I love that you made the pinata. Like we're in a culture where we're like Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. You're like, we actually sat down and we did this. Yeah. We did it together. Yeah. So that place in your mind, it's also, it's utilizing this. This is a fun place in your mind. Along with this, it's the place that we call memory and analysis, where you can remember, I turned 50, I turned 13. Here's the things that we did. Here's the things that... I, I remember about it, the facts, but you also have an emotion that goes with it when I asked you, what's, what's your emotion? Wouldn't it be like God, who owns that space in your mind of memory and analysis, when you, in such frustration, sit down and you're like, I'm going to do a quiet time because I'm so mad, I don't have anywhere else to go, and you're like, God, why am I so angry about this, and it's not even a big deal, and he goes, actually, Jen, You've submitted that part of your mind to me, and I can go back and tell you there was a time on your timeline, because Jen, I am omnipotent, and I own your timeline, where this happened, it never got resolved, and you've carried this emotion about it. So every time anything just touches at that, it gets kind of triggered, and you come unglued for no good reason. Wouldn't that be like a good God when you ask him a question like, why am I so angry all the time? He goes, if you let me, I'll tell you. Let's go back and look at this memory. Let's look at the emotion that came with it. What came with it wasn't actually anger. You felt abandoned, or you felt left out, or you felt neglected. A really good God who owns that, if you hand it to him, will help you with that. Okay, one last thing. Close your eyes for a second. And just ask yourself, you can ask God if you want to, too, because he knows the answer better than you do. Ask him, God, if I were an animal, what would I be? <coughs> okay, open your eyes. Someone tell me, if you were an animal, what would you be? A golden retriever. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. A good golden retriever that kind of leads other golden retrievers along too. Yes, a golden retriever. What else? Come on, I know you heard. What? Giraffe. Giraffe. Can you tell me why? Well, I asked him real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so you believe him. And I felt like he was saying so that you would be able to better see people. Mm, yeah. That tall neck, you can figure out where everybody's going and what they need and what they're doing. Yeah. What else? A chimpanzee. Tell me why. I like to climb trees. Yes, yeah. There's some mobility in that. There's some flexibility in that, for sure. I would bet that most of you, and you won't totally admit it in this class, and that's okay, you heard an animal, which definitely falls over here and over here. But what if it was spirit-infused? Because I gave you the opportunity to ask the Lord. And what if he's using a picture to tell you something about your identity in the kingdom of God? When these things start going together in connection, good things can happen. If we played another game and we're not, I could put someone in a seat up here and say, tell them what animal they are and why. And it starts out really creative, 
but it starts digging down to a spiritual level, and now we're speaking identity, and it's easier to actually speak it in the form of a picture. Okay, so now we are gonna be spiritual. No getting around it. This is just you and the Lord, and I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do. I'm gonna help you just tell him, if you're ready to tell him, God, I give you all these faculties. I give you my whole mind. I give you my whole heart. I want to be fueled from here so everything else lines up and my senses are yours. We're going to do some of that. I'm just going to read a psalm and help you engage it. And we're going to engage it with all these things opened up to try to start stepping into better connection with God. It's just you and God. I may ask one or two of you to share what happens in this, but you can hold it and keep it and chew on it and get some new footing. Deal? I'm gonna play some music. This is not special magic music. It's just music. It's music for prayer. It actually helps this side step in. Music is such a powerful gift. It will help you actually hear the Lord and it'll let your spirit engage because it's opening up that side. I often pray with this music. I often drive with this music. At the end of the year, Spotify says, this is my binge music, and my teenagers make fun of me. Like, you gotta, you gotta get some tunes, Mom. Like, this is sad, and my husband does too, so we're united, we're like, music for prayer, that's where it's at. And so I'm just gonna play it. It's gonna help you kind of sit and get everything opened up, and we're just gonna step into a psalm, okay? Everybody with me? All right, let me get my music for prayer. And I just want you to go ahead and start in your own kind of quiet, just you and the Lord. Just tell him in your own words, I give you permission to access my whole mind and my whole heart and my whole soul. It's yours. Some of you might want to tell him, I'm sorry that these have been shut down before you. I'm sorry, I, I didn't know that I could give you these. I submit my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul before you. want you with everything submitted to him, heart, mind, and soul, I just want you to take in this passage of scripture and just invite him to speak to you from a place of intimate communion and connection. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Invite his spirit to show you what it looks like to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. What does it feel like to abide in the shadow of the Almighty? Let your whole heart see it and sense it. Let your mind, all your senses take it in. 
say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Some of you are going to need to say that a couple times. My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because for some of you, that trust has wavered in the last months or years. For some of you, it's a new place to get a grid with God as a fortress and refuge. But invite His Spirit to show you what that looks like and feels like. For some of you, you're arguing with your mind right now because your mind goes, yeah, I know that's true about God, but that hasn't been true for me. And so just tell your mind, mind get in line with what the Spirit knows because your Spirit knows that He is the refuge and the fortress and that He's trustworthy. So you can command your mind to get in line with the Spirit. Here's what's true about God in this passage. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. You all have those places that feel deadly, that feel like traps, that feel like you're caught. Just go ahead and offer them to him right now. This is the place where I'm caught, where I'm stuck, where I'm trapped. And his promise is he will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings, you can seek refuge. And so hand him the places that are stuck and allow your whole heart and whole mind to get under his wings and take refuge. Ask him to show you what that feels like. Ask him to show you in your mind's eye what it looks like. Some of you may hear it. This is an active psalm. It probably has noise to it. Ask him to let you hear it. Some of you may just need to keep crying out internally to the Lord. I just want to dwell in the shelter, God. I just want to abide in the shadow of your wings. Would you draw me in? Would you show me that? His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. For you have made the Lord your refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. So just let his spirit show you what does it feel like to dwell in that kind of safety no matter what is going on in your current life. Because he loves you, he will deliver you. This is not an option, it is his holy response it is for you because he loves you he will deliver you he will set you securely on high let him do that 
Let him show you what that feels like to be set securely on high in the middle of flaming arrows in your life right now. What does that look like? Because he's known you. When you call upon him, he will answer you. He stays true to his word. When you call upon him right now, he will answer you. He has known you. He has known your name before you were in the womb. And his heart's desire is to dwell. And it is what you were made for in the Christian journey. So call upon him. Let him set you securely. His heart is to rescue you because he loves you. Just ask him again, show me what that looks like. God, let my heart, let my mind know that I know that kind of connection. When you're ready, you can just open your eyes. That is how we're supposed to read scripture. You don't have to take my word for it, but I'm telling you it's the truth. That's how you do it. Someone really quickly just tell me something that you saw. You don't have to give examples or why you saw it. Just tell me what you saw. Anybody see anything about the shelter? What does that look like? What did it look like for you? Being inside a hug. Inside a hug, yes. Cave in a mountain. Yeah, so that was specific to you. That was specific to you. It followed scripture. This we're just dipping a toe in. I'm gonna let you go. But you guys will do more of this in the weeks to come. Thank you for giving me the time this morning. Yes, my question. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going anywhere and Teachers aren't going anywhere, so if you have questions, if you want to tell me what you saw, I'd love to hear it. It's like in middle school when the bell rang and the teacher's still talking, and I understand. <laughs> I know you need to go, but I'm here if you want to talk more. Thank you. Let's thank Jen for teaching. If you need a book, we have, we have about ten more books. If you haven't gotten one yet, still come get that. We're going to do chapters two and three for next week. Uh, you'll get more out of this reading. If you haven't read the first chapter and you're intrigued, read the first chapter. We'll do two and three next week. Uh, thank you all for being here. Nice stuff.